does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Previously on the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. Yeah, James Boyd hanging out with us from The Athletic. You working on anything, by the way, that we need to know? I guess we should we should pub you. Come on, Actually, what you got am. cooking? Um, I got something, obviously, cooking for this week's game, what it means for the team, where they were last year to this year, what's changed from week two to week 18. Ooh, it's a lot. Things along those lines. I know uh, my buddy Zach Kiefer put an incredible story out this morning about a player, not a player, a former um I guess not former, but a fan of the team who was in prison for a long time. Um, his, oh, wow. His, his life was actually kind of portrayed on the show The Wire. Bird, if you guys are familiar with that. So <laughs> oh, check sure. that out this really? morning. He's Bird um, with this? Yeah. His, yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. So check that oh, out. I didn't see that. That's out right now in yeah, The Athletic? This came out okay. today. He's working on that for a while. So I'm excited for a couple of different things. But, I mean, to be honest, the only thing you're, you're going to want to read or watch is whatever happens after or during Saturday's game. Yeah, so it's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, we'll get to that. Reminder, Pacers in action tonight. We'll have it 6.30 pregame, 7 o'clock. Tip off there at GameBridge. 3-1 this season against the Bucks. so that'll be a lot of fun as well. Stephen Holder, ESPN.com, going to join us here at the top of the hour. Uh, so we went to break. I did a tease last segment, so give me a minute here, James, all right? Uh, interject whenever you want. So we did a tease. I did a tease where I was like, you know, I'm just going to mention Gus Bradley, and you're rubbing your hands together, oh, yeah. and the mic the mics went off and James kind of he wasn't too loud about it but he said boy you talk about Gus Bradley you better turn those Twitter mentions off yeah he's like the hot button topic right now because whether they win or lose like man Gus Bradley and his soft defense and this and it's like I understand there's some things you probably want to be different you got some numbers on that as well however I think it's sort of disingenuous not to consider at least this past week what he was working with yeah, I mean, you're starting a guy in Nick Cross who hadn't, you know, had been benched last year, second year player. Oh, four or five weeks ago, we were looking at Nick Cross asking, "Hey, is this guy ever going to get on the field?" Exactly. And now he needs to play 95 I mean, percent of the you, snaps. Yeah, you lost yeah. your starting strong safety, Julian Blackman, who was playing at a Pro Bowl yeah, who's, caliber who's level. Who's a good player? Yeah, he four turnovers, out. good player. Kenny Moore, your top slot corner, good was out. Player. You played another guy, Chris Lamont, who. Hadn't played a defensive snap all year. No, we talked about him. So again, off the field, yeah. more so than on the field. Yeah, uh, for the last what a year or so, however many months. Well, that was part of it. So here's my thing. I understand. Here's what fans want with the defensive coordinator. They want, and it goes back to a guy. There's a name out there, James. This guy interviewed actually last year for the head coaching job. He's a defensive coordinator right now. He's on a bad team, but he's a defensive coordinator, and I think he's going to be gone. Wink Martindale. People remember the name? Wink Martindale. You remember the name? Yep. He was you know, he, he was a name that was thrown out there of different coordinators. And by the way, Shane Steichen getting the job is much better than if Wink Martindale would have got the job. I, I, I just want to throw that out there. People know I followed the New York Giants. He is a defensive coordinator there. He is a blitz machine. Do you understand, James? Yeah. This guy's a blitz machine. That's all he does. He's sending the house. That's what fans want. They want they want their defense to be blitzing and to be running around, and they want offenses to fear that, and they want the the DC on the field like a college team, you know, going crazy. <laughs> that that's what fans want. I, I want to be clear. Whether it's the NFL or it's college, that's what fans want. And so I am. I'm not. I'm not backing Gus Bradley here. 
What I am doing is trying to provide um, a little bit of nuance, which is dangerous on Sports Talk Radio. I understand. Yeah, a little bit. That. We hot takes. <laughs> you tried that yesterday, and I said, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> uh, just, just quickly on Gus Bradley. Everyone here loves Shane Steichen, right? Be, everyone loves Shane Sykin, yeah. and you should love Shane Sykin. Even if you lose on Saturday, the one of the things you should feel pretty damn good about going into the offseason is is your head coach. Absolutely. I think everybody feels that. I think, you know, if I were to give a take and say, hey, how close can we get to 100% on something? Don't you feel like something on Tyrese Halliburton being a beast and how much people like Shane Steichen? Don't you feel like those are the two most safe picks that I could give out on the radio? So everyone loves Shane Steichen. And so if you like Shane Steichen, I mean, Shane Steichen did keep Gus Bradley around. I mean, this is this is his decision on top of it. So I guess my point would be we can't always pick and choose what we like about Shane Steichen. I mean, we can, but you understand you're being inconsistent. Uh, Steichen kept this guy around. Number two to all of this, I really believe after that Saints game, and I could be wrong here, but after the Saints game, in fact, look up the Colts schedule if you don't mind, James. After the uh, the Saints game, didn't we leave that game feeling that they got burned in that game? Absolutely. Okay, I mean, that's how we left that game, where we were like, you know, the secondary really got exposed here. And they did. And that's one of the main reasons that they lost. And... You know, we had that conversation. Would that be something that would continue? Now, the Colts, fortunately for them, and I think this kind of fits into the conversation, is after that, I mean, who do they have right after that? This started Carolina. Yeah, Carolina, New New England. England, The bye, and then Tampa Bay and Tennessee, which they all won. Yeah, and they win four straight. And I think, I don't know, don't you think that there was part of it where they looked around James and said, "We, we can get beat like this. We need to make sure we're not beat like this. In other words, I think you look at the Raiders game on Sunday. Devontae Adams balled out, but they didn't allow 80-yard touchdowns in that game. And I think, you know, and part of it is they played bad offenses. So Carolina or New England, you know, those teams. Now, (laughs) they left Mike Evans open twice. Mike Evans is a first ballot, second ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, He is. Like, I I love Mike Evans. I view him in that light that when he goes out there, he ain't going to wait too long. So I think there's a part of uh, of there is a changing of scheme because they understand, you know, we got to play close games. And the one way we don't do that and we start chasing is if we allow big plays. I think that's part of uh, some of the scheming that was going that was going on. The other thing, and you mentioned it and it needs to be said. For Colts fans that are frustrated at Gus Bradley, you're probably frustrated at Chris Ballard as well. And so. So which is it? Is it how many guys are over seven sacks? Is it four? Yes. Is it four? Yep. And and they've they've broken a record for a team. Yeah. Okay. And by the way, their sack percentage is top six seven in the NFL, which is funny because that's the whole discussion. If you blitzed more, would it be even more, or would you leave but, these guys on an island? But this that's exactly what I was gonna say. With this young, inexperienced secondary, that is the fear. Now I understand you like you said. Fans and even myself, as a fan of the game of football, you want to see some action. You want to see the blitzes. You want to see all those things. However, what that does is leave a lot of one-on-one opportunities. And do you really trust 
Juju Brents to be a lockdown guy? Do you trust Jalen Jones to be a lockdown guy? Do you trust these guys on the back end to hold up? And I if think you one don't way, get home, yeah, exactly. if you don't get home, and there's going to be some advantages. Exactly. And I think the one thing you want to do in that situation is think about that because that's all the NFL is. And I think a lot of this, you know, you can look at it and say, well, the quarterbacks they're playing aren't that good. I think this week is one of those opportunities where you have to pick and choose your spots when you blitz because if you do get burned, you can't have a guy like Nico Collins going off on the back end because you're being aggressive and maybe you're even hitting TJ Stroud, but you're not getting him getting to him fast enough. So that's something to, to consider. Yeah, not all not all touchdown drives are created equal. I think no. that, I think that's the point here. But even think the Colts' touchdown drives were the actually the exact perfect example of that. They had a huge play to Josh Downs and yep. a huge play to Alec Pierce. No, to me, that was the difference in the game. Sure. No, I mean, listen, you're spot on. Just quickly, and then we'll, we'll move on to something else. But I want your thoughts on this. The other thing to all of this is, and this is me not saying, these are good, they have some good players. They have some good young players, by the way. I believe them when they say, we like our young secondary. If you bring back a guy like Kenny Moore, you bring back a leader and a really solid player. So I believe them. uh, And for the most part, you know, Ballard's kind of been right that we can roll and we can win some games with these guys. But here's the thing. You guys don't want to give Ballard credit. On, on getting talent for your team, which I which I understand. You, it's year seven. Uh, why aren't we better? Why is there instability here? Why don't we have that? I totally get it. But I'm just giving you the flip side to all of this. Then, if you believe there are a bunch of projects on this team, or you're not going to give Chris Ballard the credit, you got to give Gus Bradley the credit for getting them ready to play. Yeah, and, and, and people also don't want to do that as well. So that's kind of the other side to the discussion. Now, the blitz numbers will hit you in the face. I mean, they are dead last in the NFL on blitz and blitz percentage. But like I said, they're top six, seven in the NFL on actual sack rate. And so the discussion, if you up, do you need to up that? I mean, you're getting you're getting home. Do you need to up that? Um, it's going to be a discussion if they lose and C.J. Stroud is standing back there, patting the ball and waiting for guys three, four, five seconds, whatever it may be, waiting for guys who eventually get open and that beats the Colts. Uh, that's going to be the number one complaint that, that I'm going to get and that you're going to write about will be Gus yeah. Bradley's defense. And honestly, if. CJ Stroud has five seconds to throw consistently on Saturday, then they're going to win the game. Five might be too much. You know, uh, three and, and a half, yeah, four, even, something and, like and, that. And he actually holds the ball um, pretty long. Uh, he doesn't get rid of it that fast. However, um, a lot of that has to do with protection, the longer stuff that they do, and obviously he can sling it when he has time. But I think, again, when you look at this team, a lot of the frustration sometimes is just, okay, whatever is not working in the first half, do you still stick with that in the second half? Now, we will – have to see some in-game adjustments because I don't think that D'Amico Ryans is someone who's just going to like run something out there and be like, oh, well, that didn't work. We'll just stick with it anyway. Like, no, there's going to be a chess match for sure. And it'll probably come down to maybe not blitzing, you know, like everyone wants every single play, but those few disguised blitzes here and there just to keep the defense or the, keep the other offense honest and force them to do something they don't want to do. I do think what is fair, and you saw it at the end of the Raiders game, I think it's fair that that fans want to see a little bit more aggression in getting to the quarterback, right? I I, th- I just think there's a happy medium. It feels like everyone thinks Gus Bradley is kind of a bum. 
that that's that that's the way that's the way Colts fans talk about it. And I look at their defense and I'm like, guys, they're starting rookies, and they're not even like Juju Brents is a second rounder, but not everyone on that on that secondary is a first or second rounder. Yeah, Jalen Jones was a seventh. Rounder. He's a seventh rounder. I know he's an SEC guy and everything else, but I mean, you look at rookie corners, you look at injuries there, you look at uh, what has happened now with with Blackman. You look at, I mean, Ronnie Harrison was playing. He was he was filling in for Shaq Leonard, and he played in the secondary last week. I guess that would be my thing is he doesn't pick all the groceries. He has had some projects and some melding that he's had to do, and I think for the most part, he's done a fine job. Now, it will be up to Steichen to say, no, I want a guy that's going to bring the heat. It will be up to Chris Ballard to say, no, we want a guy, we want a philosophical change. That's what it is here. If you want Gus Bradley, you know what Gus Bradley's defenses are kind of going to look like. If you want something that is systematically different, then that's up to your GM uh, and that's up to your head coach. Anything else on that? It, 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 I agree. You think my mentions will be a problem? And, uh, maybe a little that's bit. Kind of, but, kind know, of backing Gus Bradley a little know, bit. But again, I think he's done enough. And you mentioned just real quick, Ronnie Harrison Jr. This is a guy who they brought in in training camp, which we probably didn't even think was going to play a lot this year, and to their credit, I remember his first game he got in at linebacker, he got a, you know, he started linebacker, he got interception. Yeah, he got that pick, yeah. And then he got another interception in Cincinnati for a pick six, and then um, you look at the, this past week, he goes from linebacker to safety, which was his original position, coming into you know the NFL, so again, they found some gems there to help them get over the top, and you're just hoping that, okay, for one more game at least, can we do it and do enough to get our, give ourselves a chance to get into the dance as Zaire Franklin said. Well, you know, they, like right now, it might be because of just the way it is. Circumstances, personnel, injuries, whatever it may be. That you're playing experience, right? And, mm-hmm. and talent, and you may, maybe you need to add a couple guys to that. You're playing the way you need to win games. Do, does anyone think that the Colts offense is going to look this way next year? Or would with no. it? Do you, think, do you think with Anthony Richardson that you're going to have trouble running the football? Ask no. Zach Moss that question. No, not a chance. <laughs> Zach Moss is getting some pretty damn good yards yeah. when Anthony Richardson was in the game. He had like that, you know, 56-yarder or whatever it was against the Titans, and it's because when they did the zone read or whatever, two defenders, one with Anthony Richardson, and he was able to just go straight well, down Go the back field. to the Texans game. Go yeah. back to week two. Again, uh, they're having to play. Steichen is having to play. Whether that means, hey, I'm going to lean on the run. He's done that in a few games. Or, sorry, Gardner, you're going to throw 45 times, and we'll see what happens on Saturday. Now, as speaking for, and again, Stephen Holder going to join us in 15 minutes. Speaking of, I should say, Gardner Minshew, um, where in your mind... Well, before I get to that question, let me go back. The media, and I mean this involving myself... Keep me have, out of it. Have James, I'm bringing you in. <laughs> Brother, we were so damn wrong about this team. And and no one epitomizes my wrongness, if I'll create a term, than Gardner Minshew. The reason I bring that up is Gardner Minshew, if you remember two things, that I thought Gardner Minshew would eventually the NFL would catch up with him. In other words, the NFL would catch up with him. They would have two, three, four weeks, whatever it was, and defenses would lock him down. And and that was that was like that was my reasoning on why the season was over, if you will, when Anthony went down. Not that they couldn't win some games, not that they were going to be the Jets, okay, or look like the Washington Commanders, but that's what I thought was going to happen. I was wrong. The other take 
The other take that was out there, and I heard some scuttle about it yesterday, is remember when Richardson went down, they go and they beat, you know, they beat Baltimore, then Richardson goes down, and then Minshew becomes the starter. Remember one of the prevailing thoughts was, and it's funny if they win on Saturday, it's really funny if they end up winning the South and are the four seed and host a freaking playoff game, was you got to trade Gardner Minshew. Remember that? Like, it's okay if if the media and fans remember our horrific takes that we have occasionally. Okay, we remember bad games and bad schemes and bad plays and everything else. We had the take that they should trade Gardner Minshew to the New York Jets. And we made up a number, James. Ah, oh, they'll get a third rounder. Ah, oh, they'll get a fourth rounder. We're just making up. I have no idea if Gardner Minshew is worth a third rounder, a fourth rounder, a fifth rounder. And if they win on Saturday... Even if they don't, but you know what I mean. If they win on Saturday, it's going to make us look even more like dopes. And that's going to be funny that Gardner Minshew went from a guy the NFL will figure out and a guy that you need to trade so the Jets don't end up having to play Zach Wilson or Trevor Simeon. Who else have they started this year? There's another one in there. Oh, goodness. Who uh, else? Trust me. There's I another bum in there that they've started. Jets games. So well, I'll... Red Zone will pop on occasionally when Garrett Wilson does something. Uh, but we need to remember that... That that's we left Minshew for dead, and he could take you in sixty minutes to a playoff, uh, to a playoff berth, and perhaps even if things fall your way, uh, the AFC South title. And if nothing else, he has played respectable football. That he has made you at least ha- feel something this season when and, and when when Richardson goes down with that shoulder injury against Tennessee, not one of you thought you were going to have joy this season, and you've had joy again. Is he a starter? No. Do they bring him back? That's a discussion we can have. But it is fun to remember the takes that we had, you know, eight weeks ago about Gardner Minshew. Brett Rippin is the team is the player on the Brett Jets. Rippin. You're thinking Brett Rippin, he stinks too. <laughs> yeah. See, I would have never got that name, but. Personally, I remember writing a story about how after Minshew kind of started hot, oh, yeah. is he the best backup in the yeah, league? Sure. And what would be his trade value? And if you asked me back then, it wasn't about him not being like good. I was just thinking, hey, if he's only on a one-year deal and we get a second-round pick for him, see you, brother. That was what I was thinking. Now, um, obviously, when Anthony Richardson went down, that changed. Like for the season, that changed a lot of the equation because at that point you're trying to figure out, okay, do we still try to go out here and win? And I remember having conversations with my editor about this. You could have still made the trade and probably got something for him and use that to continue to build towards your future. However, how does it go over in the locker room where you just tell all the guys in there like, oh, we don't want to win this year? Like, that's a hard pill to swallow. But you can't sell Sam Ellinger. And I, I think that's what it basically came down to. And I'll add that, you know, everyone's like, oh, we thought they had, you know, Gardner Minshew figured out. We do. Right. When he has to be their most important player, he's right. not good. Right. When they're able to run the ball and have some balance, he's pretty good. That's as simple as it goes. But I look at his numbers this season, they've been okay. I think he's, you know, now at probably 18 total touchdowns against maybe 14 turnovers. So it's not like he's been amazingly good. He's just been really good in spots where they don't force him to be their number one top guy. He hasn't cratered their season. Look at what happened to Minnesota. Look at what happened to the Jets. And they've been able to stick with him. That too. Because like to your point, I'll give him some credit there. 
he's been who he is, and it hasn't really, like you said, cratered or just nosedived because, like you said, you look at those teams, they've changed quarterbacks, it seems like, right. every other week. Yeah, it's not that he's been great. It's not yeah. that he's Even been. Jake Browning for sure. uh, you know uh, Cincinnati, everyone was like, oh, these numbers, he's the first guy. Well, they were in it to this last week, and they led 17 nothing in Kansas yeah, City with a chance to keep their season exactly, alive. Exactly, but I think, again, Minshew has at least plateaued where you – don't expect just a completely bad performance. But I will admit, there were some stretches there, especially during that three-game losing streak. It was touch and go. Where I was like, man, it was touch and go. can this guy stay, yeah. you know, as your starter but if he, he's going to turn the ball he, over every single game, which he hasn't over the last few weeks. Yeah, I, I'm i not high on Gardner Minshew. I, I don't want to make it sound like he's a starter. I, I think KB, Mark, you would say this, I think KB's been hardest on him, probably, of the three of us on the show. And, I'd say that's true. Yeah, and my, and my take has never even been, uh, he's a starter in this league or anything else. My, my take has been, it's felt like your season has not cratered, and when there was no hope, he is a, a it might be a small part, he is a, he is a piece of the puzzle that has given you hope this season. Yeah, and I think it speaks to, like you said, the hope he's given them. He's got some swagger to him. Whenever you see them win, they'll you know the team usually posts a video and he's in the locker room hyping them up or dancing or something like that. So that I think that matters when you have just a likable guy in that role. However, you know you look at some of these games. It's hindsight twenty twenty. Well, he got bailed out and the team got bailed out. They went to Carolina and couldn't score. Right. Then Kenny Moore scored two touchdowns. Well, New for him. England, they scored the first drive, and then it was you know exactly. constipation basically you, for fifty-eight minutes. You mentioned Baltimore; they go to Baltimore, and they have an all-time great kicking performance from Matt Gay to win. You know, for first time in NFL history where a guy had four fifty-plus yard field goals in the same game. So I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve credit for you know being in those games, but I think it speaks to also him sort of being like this crown jewel of a really together team. I mean, there's always somebody every week who's stepped up. I mean, they went to Tennessee and they had Grant Stewart block a, oh, you know, sure. re- return a, a, bl- a blocked kick for a touchdown. So, again, these are all things that I think um, and matter not when it comes to trying to win big in this league. By the way, not everything's been great for Minshew. He has had guys injured. He has had Michael Pittman out for a couple games. He is, I mean, jo- Jonathan Taylor, it's almost a lost year. I mean, we're down to the end here. Does Jonathan Taylor, do we get anything out of it? Zach Moss has been really good then he's been injured they have been shaking up the offensive line quite a bit I, I'm just I'm just throwing it out there that um you know I, I listen I think I, I think you try to bring him back on on some sort of a two-year deal something that is competitive oh, maybe. I would bring him back absolutely. yeah I, I think he is a valuable yeah. not the most valuable he's not Michael Pittman valuable if you want to bring back a Kenny Moore but you know there's no way do I think Anthony Richardson's injury prone I'm not ready to say that it would be unfair after one season in the NFL for me to say that but that doesn't mean I automatically give him the benefit of the doubt yeah. that he's going to play 17 games either I think the argument as to not bringing Gardner Minshew back will be do you get a quarterback similar to like the Baltimore Ravens where you have Tyler Huntley and he's a similar right. skill set to Anthony Richardson. The Eagles tried that with Marcus Mariota, yeah. but, but he's fallen off the cliff. But they tried that yeah, with Jalen like, Hurts so being there. If sure. our guy is right. out for a week or two, we, can we don't have, have to change it too much. Exactly. But I do think just given the relationship with Shane Steichen and Gardner Minshew, what he's done this season, I mean, again, do you reward a guy who helped you get to the promised land, which is the playoffs? And I think you do, and I don't think he would mind it either. I mean, the guy is – he's a baller. Um, he gives them a chance, and I think that's all you can ask for when you put your back up in there. 
Yeah, that position's going to be key, no doubt about that. Colts and Texans coming up on Saturday. Uh, yeah, we'll talk with Stephen Holder, our good friend. ESPN.com joins us next here on The Fan. All right, Stephen Holder. It's the wake-up call with KB and Andy on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Oh, sorry to Mark Dighton. I was vibing with the music. I don't know what happened. Uh, Stephen Holder, ESPN.com will join us here uh, on the wake-up call. James Boyd hanging out with us from The Athletic. couple more hours to go. KB will be back at it coming up on uh, coming up tomorrow. He'll be back. I would imagine he's flying back today, Mark. He's doing the entire thing with all the kids in a plane. Uh, sounds miserable, KB. Hope you I uh, hope you have a great trip All there. All I know is KB had that alarm ready tomorrow because I'm sleeping in, brother. <laughs> you better believe it. Uh, we appreciate you uh, jumping on with us. Quickly, do need to remind everyone, so here's the deal on Saturday. We are going to have the Pacers game at 6.30, the game, and obviously all the post game to the Pacers right here on the fan. Here's what else we're going to have on the fan, okay? Uh, so we're going to have JMV's ride to kickoff, and about the first hour of the Colts pre game is going to be, like always, right here on the fan and Hank FM 97.1, okay? Uh, that's like normal. Then the fan will break away, like I said, at 6.30 for Pacers and Celtics, which, by the by the way, is right across the block, basically, down here, downtown at Gamebridge as well, okay? It's going to be a busy night uh, downtown Indianapolis. Uh, we'll have the, you know, again, the Colts will continue on Hank FM, and then when Pacers are done, the fan will rejoin, and it will be the Colts will be on all sticks, the post game, end of the game, exactly uh, where we are. So that is the broadcasting plan coming up on Saturday night here uh, on The Fan and on Hank FM. All right, let's dive into it. Stephen Holder, ESPN.com, joins us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Stephen, uh, good morning to you. How are you today, sir? Happy New Year. Uh, hey, Happy New Year to you as well. Um, I am doing great. Thanks for asking. Uh, I'm looking at James Boyd right now, and he said during the break, if I had as much money as David Tepper, I wouldn't be throwing a damn drink on anybody. Uh, Temper, a $300,000 fine, Stephen. You've covered a lot of games. What did you think of that? He sounds lovely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he sounds like a you know someone you really want to hang out with. Really level-headed guy. Uh, just you know the the perfect kind of the perfect kind of guy to to own a a franchise in a really volatile business. I I think it's a perfect fit. It really is, boy. <laughs> Go ahead, James. I think it's a mess. Yeah, quite frankly. But I mean, we talk about this all the time, Stephen. Where I tell you, you know, what what I would do if I was rich, and one of them would be to block out every person who ever had a disagreement with me. I'd be like, I'm rich. Who cares? But um, as far as this team goes with the Colts. Obviously, and I, I will add that if this was Jim Irsay doing something like this, this would have been everywhere. So I do want to put oh, yeah. out there that, um, yeah, this is an owner acting like this is not okay. But um, getting back to this team and this owner, Jim Irsay, I'm sure he's excited for Saturday. When you look at where this team was at the beginning of the year to where they are now, what is your takeaway, your biggest takeaway from how they've been able to do it, Stephen? Yeah, it, it's remarkable. I don't know if we have – really done a great job of putting it in context because it, it has kind of happened in a in an uneven kind of way. You know what I mean? Like they they started well, then they kind of struggled, then they came back and had a couple more struggles again, and so now here they are. So it's it hasn't been linear in any form or fashion, but that doesn't mean it's any less impressive. And And I think we just 
just in general, I think we just have to stop and acknowledge that because that can get kind of get lost in, in talking about, you know, just, you know, the big game and all of that. You know what I mean? Like, I think mm-hmm. if they lose on Sunday or Saturday, excuse me, I mean, certainly no one's rooting for that. But if they lose on on Saturday, I don't think it really takes any shine off of this season. You know, I mean, to do what they have done under the circumstances, they have done them. I don't feel any differently about it, win or lose. So anyway, that is the point I'm making is we have to appreciate just how remarkable this has been. I don't care about the schedule. I don't care about, you know, what quarterbacks they were lucky enough to play. I mean, half the NFL is playing a backup quarterback every week right now. You know what I mean? So let's look at it from that perspective. Like, they're not catching that many breaks compared to everybody else when you really think about the state of the NFL right now. So just appreciate it, I guess, is what I'm saying, because it is a really hard thing to do. I mean, they have a chance to improve by six wins from last year. I mean, that never happens. It does happen, but it's it's a really hard thing to accomplish. Uh, and they've added stability. Uh, coaches, some young players, some guys that you know were projects and we didn't know if they were going to be able to play or cut it in the NFL. And for the most part, they've had. And maybe uh, there is a renewed zest. Yeah, I have said they need to, you know, if they win and they can move on, if nothing else, they, they really have started a new regime here. Now, one thing I would say, and I agree with you, and again, Stephen Holder from ESPN.com with us, uh, you said, hey, I'm not going to feel different about this team if they were to lose on Saturday. While I agree with you, I know you understand, at least in the heat of the moment, a bunch of fans are not going to feel that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, <laughs> disappointment is, is fine and understandable. Uh, I, I think let's just keep it in perspective, right? I mean, not, I'm sure perspective will, will – there will be no issues with perspective, I'm sure. Yeah, we ain't trying <laughs> to hit that. No, we're going to have nuanced, yeah. nuanced conversations <laughs> about Gus Bradley and the play calling after the game if they lose on Saturday. Don't worry, Steve. Right, yeah. right. If, if C.J. Stroud <laughs> throws for 350 yards, I'm sure everybody will will just be fine about that. But, look, I, I mean, look, they are, they are not a perfect team. I mean, they had flaws entering the season. They have flaws now. And so the, I would say this. The coming off season, win or lose of the, in this game. The coming off season, I, in my opinion, I think the the importance of the coming off season has been heightened because of the success. Because now you realize what's capable. Agreed. So now you can't you can't skimp on the secondary, and you can't pull. You know you you can't you know sort of take chances with the offensive line depth. You can't do any of that stuff. I mean, you've got to have firepower at your skill positions. And to make sure that you can withstand Michael Pittman missing a game, which they can't do right now. You know, so like, I, I just think the importance and how they go about things in this offseason, that has taken on just a, a much bigger uh, importance, in my opinion, because of the success that they have had. So, hey, it, it, tur- it turns the stakes up, <clears throat> excuse me, quite a bit, just because now we know, look, this is not – they're not on the same timeline maybe we thought they were. They're on a different timeline because the timeline's now. Stephen Holder with us from ESPN.com here on the Fan on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, whether this be a positive nugget uh, or even a negative nugget or somewhere in between, Stephen, it's still early in the week. It's only a Wednesday, game on Saturday. Um, what's the thing you feel most confident about looking at this game right now, again, only on a Wednesday? Uh, I, I think that 
that they will come out with energy. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I just thought was, <clears throat> excuse me, one, one of the things I, I thought was disappointing in the past month was, as everybody knows, the Cincinnati game and the Atlanta game. And I, I thought that those were two, oppor- two instances where Shane Steichen couldn't get his team up for those games. But I would say this. This team generally rises to the occasion. Those games were important, but they weren't, they weren't massive games in, in the way this one is. You know, and, and this team, at, at pivotal points, they have responded. You know, when they have had to, to bounce back, they've responded. When they've had challenges uh, because maybe someone was out of the lineup, or, uh, you know, certainly Anthony Richardson goes down, whatever the case might be. This team has, has not been intimidated by, by situations. So I don't I don't know if they're going to win, but I don't think they're going to be. I don't think they're going to like cower in this moment, and and I know that's you know that's kind of like a cryptic you know nothing statement, but but it is there is something to that. I mean, I think the the good teams, the teams that are that are ready for moments like this, you can tell, you can tell when they go out there and when they play, and I I think the Colts will will respond accordingly. I agree. I, I do. Uh, so the, so that's that's what I think I know. And and I don't know how much that gets you. That doesn't get you a W in and of itself. But it you have to do that to be able to win a big game on that stage at minimum. Yeah, see, I don't know how much Steven knows, but we'll see. Um, but no, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm wow, just joking. <laughs> hey, so let's talk about next Wednesday here, guys. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but no, in all seriousness – you talked about, you know, being ready for the moment and him, them having to seize it. What do you think could be an X factor for them, Stephen, which could swing this game and possibly swing it in their favor? So I would love to see them be able to, to run the ball with, with some real consistency. I mean, they did it uh, to a large degree on, on Sunday against the Raiders. Um, Jonathan Taylor was in and out of that game. But I thought that was a – I would consider that to be – a really strong rushing performance from Sunday. And the reason I say that, the reason I, I think that's important in this game is because if you, if you give C.J. Stroud opportunity after opportunity against a secondary that I just don't trust, okay, let's just, we're going to just put it out there, all right? Mm-hmm. I don't trust these that's guys. That's the biggest worry. That, as a fan. That's the biggest worry is a patchwork secondary. I mean, Ronnie Harrison Jr. was played in the secondary last week. Ronnie, Ronnie Harrison Jr. probably looked around like, what me? Huh? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like so that's where we're at, man. And so I, I really just think that is the path here. Okay. Get the you know, sort of the ground and pound game going. I know it's not necessarily the you know, Shane Steichen's favorite thing. <laughs> you know, he, he talks about um what does he say? Uh throw the score and and run to win, right? So he wants to in theory, throw it up and down the field. But I don't think this is the game for that. And uh, they did it in the first game um, against the Texans. They, they actually threw the ball pretty successfully that day. But I think now what you have is a, a different C.J. Stroud in this game from that first meeting. You also have a Houston pass rush that is really mm-hmm. rolling. Yes, sir. That pass rush, I believe, had 12 or 13 quarterback hits against Tennessee on on Sunday and and not I think Will Levis out of the game. So I mean 
this, this is not a game. You do not want to play their game. You want to play your game, and I think the, the Colts' strength in this game, potentially, if they can do it, is to run the ball, grind it out, and play that kind of game. You know, I was going to ask you, and Stephen Holder from ESPN.com, you you covered some of it there, and boy, it's I know it's a generic question that's been asked all week, and James and I have talked about it. Like, what can you take away from that first meeting uh, in in week number two? Is there anything? I mean, you may, I, CJ Stroud was good then, and you know now we know even more about CJ Stroud. It almost, almost feels like the Colts are maybe. Uh, have had more turnover than at times the Texans, but then you mentioned you know Texans that defensive line and not only their D line, Stephen, their offensive line is totally different than week two. Do we do we throw that out? What do we do with what happened earlier in the season? Anything? Well, I, I do think the one takeaway you can you can have from that game is that you you have to get pressure on C.J. Stroud. Now, I mean, I get it, right? The sky is blue, duh. But what I'm what I mean is. He's impacted by the pressure. He, he is impacted by the pressure, and and that I did that I have noticed. If you look at him throughout the season this year, uh, he's had you know multiple big games, really big games, but he's also had some games where he has struggled, and those are the games where he has been under pressure. Uh, you know, some quarterbacks. I think being a young quarterback, he still isn't quite there yet. You know, and that's that's to be expected. So I, I just think the Colts have the ability to get after him. Um, you know, their offensive line has, has been up and down this year, talking about Houston's. Their offensive line has, has been a little inconsistent, and some of that is injuries too. But whatever the case, I think that is where the Colts can maybe get him off his spot and force him to throw the ball quicker, do those kinds of things. They're going to have to do that because if they leave it up to him sitting in the pocket, he did this, I thought, in the second half of the first game. They they let him kind of sit in the pocket, and, I mean, he was dicing them at mm-hmm. times in that game. And I thought that was the moment where everybody kind of sat up and said, oh, my God, this guy, he might be a find. And and it was true. It, it turned out to be true. I mean, what we saw then was, was a preview of what was to come with C.J. Stroud. Uh, fortunately for the Colts, they got an easy early lead in that game, and they were able to kind of you know, continue to have offensive success. But – you know, look, this this could play out differently if they don't uh, if they don't get him off his spot. Stephen, how do you think Zaire Franklin will embrace this opportunity to lead this defense, which again is very young on the back end, but is very experienced with the front seven? I would say that is true. I mean, we we sometimes kind of overlook that because we talk about the Colts as like this young team, but. They have a lot of experience up there. I mean, DeForest Buckner, for example, uh, I think Shane Steichen made a great point yesterday. I mean, here's a guy who's played in the Super Bowl. And, and by the way, just a, a, an occasional reminder here, a periodic reminder, in that Super Bowl that you can go back and watch for yourself, DeForest Buckner, in my opinion, outside of Patrick Mahomes, was the best player on the field. So, fun fact. Anyway, you know, that's the type of – that's the type of team we're talking about. You know, a team with guys like that. Um, I think there are, there are guys who were here in 2020. So it, it definitely helps. I mean, it's not going to make up for the loss of Julian Blackman or the young corners, but it, it definitely helps, I think. Uh, and playing at home helps for the defense as well. I think that place is going to be loud. You know, this isn't going to be a situation where, you know, you've got a bunch of, 
uh, road team fans in the building. I mean, this is going to be all Colts fans, and unless the uh, Houston Texans, they're going to be liquored up. They're going to drink yeah. all day. This is not a one o'clock game, Stephen. Yeah. Okay, this is <laughs> this is you this, start this drinking plays, at two o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> yes, this plays to the defense's uh, advantage. There's no doubt about it. So, so anyway, we'll see. I'm, I'm all I would tell you is I'm I'm really eager to see how they rise to the occasion yeah. and if they rise to the occasion. Do you think Zaire will be nice? Uh, yeah, I mean he's always very nice and respectful, and he, you know he helps guys up. And no, I, I would say this: you know this, Zaire Franklin is is insane. I don't think people really know how crazy this man is. Not off the field, he's actually extremely normal off the field. On the field, he is insane. He told me one time, I asked him after the Baltimore game because he tried to get in like three fights. I said, I said Zaire, what is your deal, man? Like, why are you always trying to fight? And he says. Man, I don't care about those guys. He's he's perfect for his positions. It's exactly the attitude that I need. He said, no. He says, man, that's my job. I'm out there trying to fight. He says, you play me, you got to fight. I'm like, all right, man. You know what? I'm going to leave you alone. (laughs) There's a a reason they can play uh, football and we can't. Uh, There's a a bunch of reasons, that being one of them. Uh, Stephen Holder with us, ESPN.com on the Payless Liquors hotline. Cart before the horse, I understand it, but since we have you on, a two-parter here, and I hate to do that, but a two-parter. Do you think Tennessee can actually beat Jacksonville? So the Colts could, you know, the Colts or the Texans could actually win the AFC South. How much do you think that could actually happen? And then if the Colts get in, I I mean, I I see no reason they can't go win a game with the pass rush. If they can keep, you know, if they can win a ball, I I could see them win at least a playoff game. Hell, Daniel Jones did it last year. Gardner Minshew can as well. Again, I throw that to you, Stephen, understanding that as cart before the horse, they need to win on Saturday for any of this to be a moot point. Let's just say I'm not putting money on the Colts winning the AFC South. Okay, okay. <laughs> that way. I'm not in either. Terms of the, the Tennessee and Jacksonville game. I I don't know. Tennessee they they're going to have a long off season. I don't know, man. I know. So anyway, that's my answer on that one. I would say this on in terms of can they can the Colts advance? Here's the thing about the playoffs, and I think this is a good thing. The playoffs are all about matchups. Because this ain't basketball where you know you have a seven a best of seven, right? And you can you can adjust throughout the course of the the uh, the series, and you know you can change your starting lineup. And no, I mean it's a it's a one and done. It's a it's a one game situation. You know, win or go home. And you know, I take okay. Let's let's say like an, a ridiculous example, maybe or that may sound like a ridiculous example. I don't know where they're going to end up, but even say if it's like Kansas City, mm-hmm. like am I going to pick the Colts to go to Arrowhead and win no. in January? Like, no, no, like I would just make a donation to to uh, to Wheeler Mission or something if I was going to do that. However, <laughs> I would say this: Would it stun you? That I guess that's my you, point. That's my point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it I, I think they do the things that that can win you football games in the playoffs. They can run the ball. They can rush the passer. You know they can, they've gotten some key stops on defense this year. Their defense, even though again we're sitting here crying about the back end, for, trust me, rightfully so. Their defense has had some huge clutch moments this season. You know what I mean? So that's what it takes. I mean, you go back to Baltimore, for example. I mean, the same guy that we're that we're now basically saying is going to walk away with the MVP. 
I mean, the Colts got him off the field in a couple of really critical situations in that game where they had to have it. So what's the difference with going to going to Kansas City and doing that, right? Yeah. So, I, you know, I get it. The stakes are different, and, and, and I don't even know if that'll be the matchup. I mean, you know, I, I don't love the matchup, for example, in Miami just because of the skill position players. Uh, but, you know, that's certainly not a strength of, of Kansas City right now. You know, who knows what the matchup will be. But, uh, but again, I really do think in a, one in, in a win-or-go-home situation, it is about matchups and it's about game plans. Colts got one of the top coaches right now in the NFL. There's no doubt about it. This guy, from a strategic pers- perspective, he, is, he has shown himself to be elite this year. So you want, you want a guy like that on your side, when it's a win-or-go-home situation. Steven, we appreciate the time here every Wednesday. KB will be back uh, in the saddle next week for you, and we'll see what happens, and we'll keep reading and uh, watching your Twitter and everything else here over the next few days as we get ready for this game on Saturday night. Appreciate it. Have a good, uh, have a happy new year, and uh, today's the last day I can say that because once we get to the fourth, enough of the, uh, of the new year stuff. We're three days in. We're good to go. Appreciate the time, my man. Take care. Okay. All right, guys. Talk soon. 9 o'clock hour, broadcasting live from the DriveHuber.com studios. Andy Sweeney, James Boyd hanging out with you. KB back in the saddle coming up tomorrow. Uh, Tony East going to join us here in just a second. Pacers in action tonight. You'll like this, James, before we get Tony on. I had uh, I was closing on my home in southern Indiana last Friday. We finally sold that, which is great. That wire hit the bank account. I felt like, uh, yes, I, sir. I, felt like I was uh, rich at some point. Yeah, you know, that, money, that money's gone. It's gone to the other one, but for a moment in time, I had to take a, I had to, I had to take a screenshot. And Dang, I missed my shot. I should have been asking for a loan <laughs> exactly. and I don't have to pay back. The, uh, there'll be points on it. You don't worry. So the guy, uh, so one of the, the the dad of the guy who's buying the house, young couple and everything, he goes, uh, he goes, man, what's uh? I know you live in Indianapolis now. He goes, what's trying to get a hotel room in February? In, in Indy, what's going on? I'm like, I'm like, and it's that exact week. I'm like, man, that's the NBA All Star Weekend, brother. Too late, my he's brother. Like, he's like, these hotel rooms are like five hundred dollars. So you see, one hundred twenty-five. I'm like, yep, that's what we do. That's what everyone does uh, with a with a big event. Good set. calendar year Dude, for events in Indianapolis. I was going to bring that up. It. I know everyone's talking and writing about that now. Uh, it really is. Let's get Tony East in here. Locked on Pacers podcast, si.com. Many places you can find his work. Tony, uh, good morning. How are you today? I'm good. I'm uh, excited to be a part of this lovely indie sports here, and congrats on the house sale, Andy. That's oh, dude, it's uh, it's something that needed to happen here. We've been uh, <laughs> we've been we've been su- just sweating a little bit. It's just it's just a long process, right? It's just a long damn process, uh, but we got it done. Uh, and so, yeah, I was I was last Friday while you guys were all you know, it's it's a holiday weekend, so you know, banks and everything are closed. You know, early Friday, Saturday, Sunday, <laughs> and Monday, and they're like, yeah, if the wire doesn't hit your account tonight. It'll hit on Tuesday, and I'm like, you you think I'm gonna be able to sit here oh, all no. night, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday while this money's out there in uh, Chase Bank land? What are been we doing in that house until it cleared? Like <laughs> exactly. it's still mine. So, so I was I was refreshing, but we were good at about four o'clock on Friday. Uh, so yeah, so Tony, appreciate you joining us. L- let me ask you this: um, three and one are the Pacers against the Bucks this season. Why is that? Is why is that the case? Why are the Pacers playing so well against this Milwaukee team? In your mind, uh, to me, it's that the Bucks perimeter defenders have been terrible against the Pacers, and the Pacers deserve credit for punishing this. But you just saw it on Monday 
you know, again, that the the Pacers guards can get wherever they want, right? Like Benedict Matherin's getting to the paint on a lot of his touches. TJ McConnell can get to his whatever slithery spot he's trying to get to and get to his little six foot fade away. And Halberton can get wherever he wants. And that's been huge for them. And the Bucks perimeter defense hasn't been particularly good. They have some shorter guards. Malik Beasley's kind of slow footed, but you know, for a Pacers team that talks about at their best, they're playing paint to great, right? They get the paint and they play from there. It's kind of easier for them to do that against the Bucks because they, they, the Bucks can't stop them and keep them in front. It's a similar problem that the Pacers were having for a lot of the season. And you, know, you really saw that on Monday, like in clutch time, it was a close game. And the Pacers said, we're just going to drive at Malik Beasley over and over again and score. And I think that's been a big problem for the Bucks all season and particularly against the Pacers. And some other things have gone the Pacers' way with – you know, some some poor opponent shooting in their favor and things like that. But I think that's been the key thing is that it's really hard for the Bucks to make the Pacers uncomfortable. So they're always able to be in these games and they've done all well the capitalize. I know this may sound crazy and this is not listen, this is not me being a pacer honk here. I just I look at Milwaukee and I love the top part of, of their lineup, right? They're starting five you know, I you know even even Bobby Portis is a solid player, could be a starter on some teams. At least a couple of years ago, he could have been a starter. I, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I don't think. And again, the Pacers have their own issues, and the Bucks are twenty four and nine on the year. I just don't love the back end of the roster or the bench in Milwaukee. Am I crazy? And I think that has something to do with it. When they go to the bench, the Pacers can go to the bench, and the Pacers have better players on their bench. Yeah, every, the, the one time the Bucks won was the game where Portis was great. He had 19 points, I think, and Marjan Bochamp hit some shots. Like, their bench was actually good. But every other game in this series this season, the Pacers bench has just kicked the Bucks bench butt because they have way more depth, and that's been a strength for the Pacers all year. But particularly in the bench, if you're right on that the Bucks bench hasn't – they need another guy. They need two other guys. Right. And like, they can't afford an injury. Like, Jay Crowder's out, and all of a sudden they're playing – you know, a, a second-round rookie or someone who's just really inexperienced, and maybe that's fine long-term, but they're trying to win right now. So I, they definitely need their guy or need to get healthy but because they, they can barely afford one injury, and the Pacers have exploited that too. So, Tony, I want to pivot a bit because you mentioned defense. Damian Lillard, not known for that. Obviously, Malik Beasley, not known for that either. <laughs> their defense is pretty bad. You know where I'm going with this. So you have a tweet up that was my favorite to close out 2023. <laughs> Even dating a pretty girl gets boring after a while. She can't guard Rick Carla out of context about his team. But by the way, can I pause you, Tony? You got so much run on that tweet. You had to have how many tens of thousands of interactions on that tweet? Did you not? It was weird. It's the, it's the most imp, like impressions I've ever gotten on a tweet. I, I, I did not expect that. I mean, it was very funny. Don't get me wrong, but hilarious. Good for you. That to be the one. It's a good end to twenty twenty three. Rick Carlisle confirmed yesterday that his wife Donna can guard. So I want to ask, <laughs> how is Margo doing and helps our defense? Here's the problem, James. She is five one, so she's getting she's getting cooked on her size. She's just she's not she's gonna have some issues. I mean, she's we, being we posted got, up. I mean, we got to do something, man. We got to get some, 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 some reps in, some help side, some shell defense drills. But no, in all seriousness. When it goes to the Pacers' defense, what do you think has been the difference for them to be able to lock in and win a game like they did the other night where they didn't shoot the ball very well, didn't score a ton, but were able to get over the top? Yeah, Tyrese Halberton talked about that in the locker room. You know, every time they win with defense, he, 
he smiles. Let's everybody know. Defense, you know, everybody criticizes the <laughs> defense. Make sure you're positive about it now. Look, it's weird to say this because they're still 28th on the season in defense, but they had that practice, I think, on December 19th. It might have been the 21st, right before they played the Hornets. Yep. And yep. they, like, simplified things on defense and tweaked a little bit of what they wanted to, like, give up and really made it a point of emphasis. Like, hey, you're going to defend or you're not going to play. And they ch- they also changed the starting lineup since then. But since then, they have defended pretty well, like, uh, every game. And, and the first five games they played were against teams that aren't particularly awesome on offense, but then they played the Knicks and Bucks and still defended those teams pretty well. Like, something that day and the little bit of the changes they made, including the lineup change, have really clicked for them on the end of the floor in a meaningful way, and they're giving up way fewer points than they were. Like, the, but for a while, the, their line of winning and losing was giving up 124, which is a crazy high number, but like, they had two losses giving up less than 124 up to Christmas, right? Wow. And then they've given up less than that like six times since then already. Their defense is clearly at a little bit higher of a level for many reasons. Uh, but against the Bucs, you saw that be really important on on Monday where the Pacers shot awful. And they did a lot of other things well, Nick. Yeah, they didn't turn it over. They got a bunch of offensive rebounds. But when the game was on the line in the fourth quarter, they got a lot of stops in a row, right? And that's been a big struggle for them all season. And I think it's really impressive that they've been able to, to ratchet that up. It's still not a strength, to be clear. But given how good their offense is, they just have to be like kind of bad on defense to win, and that's in the level they've been the last couple weeks. Tony East joins us, SI.com Locked on Pacers podcast. Uh, I want to get to the OG and Anobi trade. I'm sure you'll have thoughts on that. I want to do that here in just a second. A couple different times there in that answer, you mentioned the lineup changes. And that last Tuesday before the Houston game, uh, you know, KB and I were interviewing Carlisle, and he said, hey, listen, he basically told us, we're going to make a change here. Neesmith starting lineup, Jalen Smith in the starting lineup, Andrew Nemhard in the starting lineup. And it's been uh, pretty good. I mean, four straight wins with that lineup. Now, Nemhart is injured. What do you think Carlisle does? Who do you think goes back into the starting lineup? I'm still thinking Bruce Brown doesn't play tonight. Uh, does that move up Matherin? What do you think he does? Perhaps Buddy Heald as well. Yeah, I, I mean, they, they turned to Buddy without Nemhart in the second half against the Bucks, and, and the thing about Buddy is he's at his best playing with Tyrese Auburn. Everybody is. But, you know, Buddy Yield in particular, his whole career has had a really good partnership there. And but he's been really struggling. You know, December was not Buddy Yield's best month. He did not make a shot on Monday at all. And, and a lot of his value is tied to making shots. A lot of players is. But him in particular, given what he's good at, that's the case. So I think they just given we saw them use Buddy Yield as the fifth guy, on Monday, I think he'd, he'd be the answer. But, I mean, they've really leaned into defense with the starting group, right? That's been a lot of the success of it. And they talked about the defense and the size being, you know, big parts of their adjustment. It would not surprise me if Matherin gets the nod because he might be the best defender option left of their guys if they don't have Nemhard or Brown. And I don't think they'll be without both of those guys for a particularly long time. But if they if they want to lean into defense and – especially tonight because they're playing a Bucks team that Matherin has been fantastic against all season. Two of his best probably four games this year have come against Milwaukee. It would not surprise me if they turned to Matherin, uh, given who they're playing, but I think the fact that they chose Heald for that second half uh, Monday night and, and his long track record of being Tyrese's running mate means maybe they'll just go to that and, and he'll be the first sub uh, and be an important guy with the bench still. Tony, we look at 
Ben and the things he's had to kind of work his way through throughout his career, how have you seen him maybe mature in finding a role or finding a different role just to affect the game? I know the other night he grabbed a career-high 13 rebounds. Yeah, it's really interesting because we spent all offseason, and I think this is the right things to discuss, but they're talking about his shooting and his passing and all these things he needs to improve on, and he still does. But the thing that's kind of like – transformed him and and when he's at his best is the thing that you can tell he's worked on the most is just making quick decisions right like the Popovich .5 rule when he catches it within half a second is he dribbling shooting or passing in a meaningful and productive way because he is good at like sizing up his man and driving and drawing a foul he was really great at that last year as a rookie but a lot of times within how the Pacers play with their random fast style and moving the ball around as fast as they can everybody's flying around like you got to keep moving and you got to keep the ball moving. And so for him, it's just been catch. And if you're open, shoot the three. Like, don't fake and, and put it on the floor and then shoot, just shoot it. And if you have a lane to attack, do it. And if you have a lane to pass, do it. And I get why he's like, that isn't his natural instinct. But for him, that has changed what he's, the, his season, right? Like, he's looked a lot better when he's doing that stuff. Carlisle keeps talking about how he keeps getting better and better at fitting into what the Pacers are doing. And I agree, he looks more comfortable with that all the time. And you still see moments where he tries to be Ben Matherin, and sometimes that's the right decision where he catches and sizes up the situation. But when he is keeping things moving and getting his shots up quickly, he looks great, and he looks more comfortable with that every day. And for a guy that is good at, at you know getting past his man or creating an advantage off the dribble, he's still finding ways to do that, and now he knows kind of where those spots are coming from. So you're just seeing him get more comfortable at – making quick decisions in a way that makes Ben Matherin Ben Matherin and still makes the Pacers great. Tony East joining us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. OG Ananobi over the weekend. I know uh, there were some Pacer fans that were like, oh, damn, you know, kind of wanted that guy to get straight into the Knicks. Emmanuel quickly, R.J. Barrett, go to Toronto. Was that a guy that you wanted on this Pacer team? And I guess overall, you know, within the Eastern Conference and the Pacers, you know, that player being off the table, what did you make of the trade? He's a, he's a great fit, right? And it, it's not a secret that it's been reported by every outlet for years and years and years, right? Like, at, the Pacers certainly would have liked to have O'Dea and on their team. And everything they need or lack in general, whether that's, you know, a, a, a four-sized player who can initiate a little bit and can shoot and can defend, most importantly, he is all of it, right? He's like the perfect, in theory, player, for them in terms of what his usage would have been. It would have been a pretty seamless fit. Um, I thought that was pretty good value for the Raptors to get, though, mostly because I think Emmanuel quickly is awesome, and they're already 1-0 with Barrett and quickly in the lineup. Mm-hmm. That was pretty good against Cleveland the other night. Um, it, it's hard to, you know, you look at it from a Pacers perspective to know what their comparative price would have been without knowing how the Raptors feel about the players they got, right? Because it seems like they sure. got a, Barrett's 23 but his contract's not great. Like it's hard to find a good comp for that on the Pacers. And with that, again, if they loved quickly so much, like do they love any Pacers young player in that way? So it's, it's hard to say exactly what a comparable trade would have been. But I mean, he'd have been an awesome fit. I think the Pacers would have been willing to pay, to pay a price to get him at some point without overpaying, of course. Uh, but yeah, that changes the dynamics of the East meaningfully. Like the, the the other ripple effect of this that hurts the Pacers beyond not getting in an Obi is. The Knicks were half a game behind him in the standings when right. they got him, right? So right. They're right on their tail now. Uh, they're going to be good. They've been good in the postseason before. 
the Raptors maybe are a little better too, funnily enough, and it changes those sort of standings dynamics and makes things a little harder for the Pacers in that way. And now the eyes go to Siakam, right? He is the Pacers guy they turn to now. He would still be an offensive fed. He can defend, and he's a much better offensive player than Ananobi, at least in terms of being a shot creator. So that's, I think, the other ripple effect is do the Pacers have interest in Siakam still? Uh, I, I would imagine that they do. The, the, the salary parts of that trade would be interesting, but I think that's the, the next step for this. Is Does Toronto want to move him, or do they want to build around him still with the guys they have? Me and James were talking about this during the break, and Tony East with us. How about that Caitlin Clark 40-burger uh, oh. step back, uh, what is it, 25-footer, uh, 30-footer to win the game last night? What would you think of that? So nasty. And as you can say, it was all <laughs> over her, right? They were not letting her get the ball, and she still, she still got it to go. I'm actually mad about the highlights specifically because Peacock's clock ruined it. The buzzer went off before the shot went up on the broadcast by in the arena. Clearly, it was a it was a good shot, so that ruined the highlight a bit. But oh, she's just she's just phenomenal. Still don't know if she's going pro, but. Man, man, would she be good? I'll tell you this. <laughs> James is excited, by the way, Tony. Yeah, yeah. She, he, he's she's, hyped up. She's turning pro. I talked to her. We had a conversation. I told her, hey. Per sources. Yeah, yeah, yeah per me. But um, no, I found it funny, though, that Aaliyah Boston was actually on that broadcast team. That's so, right. Tony, is this like next-level recruitment? Like, is this tampering? Like, how, where this does is, this fall This is like in the... big three Miami Heat, LeBron James, yeah. Chris Bosh, and Dwayne Wade I'm type like, stuff. how do you – is this just Aaliyah Boston showing her expertise in other areas? Like, how do you discern this? What are the odds Aaliyah Boston ends up not the SEC broadcaster playing on the big-time broadcasts? The one year they need her to potentially recruit <laughs> That's what I'm saying, like, like – the wheels are turning, my friend. Like this is this is high level stuff here. But I will I do want to ask real quick about tonight's game regarding the Pacers. I know there's been a lot of talk about the ball and the rivalry, all those things, but given where the Pacers were in years past, Tony, how refreshing is it to actually have conversations like this where you're like, Man, this team is going toe to toe with one of the teams that people pick to be in the finals this year. It's been great. I mean, it's you know you pace for a year like they never beat the Bucks. <laughs> like you know they was like honest a shrug and this guy blue and they have three wins against them like they the they're before the season three wins ago for them against the Bucks was like you get to like 2016 or something like they they never beat that guy and now they they can because their offense is fantastic and. They can beat anybody at their best. I think that's been the interesting part of their season. Of course, everyone knows they can also lose to anybody, but they've beaten the Bucks several times, the Celtics, the Sixers, the Heat, and the Bucks specifically, they've done well in a matchup that they, they stunk in before. And I think that speaks a lot to their growth and maturity. Tyrus Albert talked a little bit about that on Monday after the win, that they're able to have a bad game in some sort of scale, whether that's defense, whether that's shooting, whether that's whatever. They can overcome it and win because they are – you know, they are talented now. They have guys who can help them overcome certain struggles in ways they haven't in the past and against the Bucks specifically. Like, they haven't really shot that well against Milwaukee this year, right? In any game, in, in any of their four games. But they've been able to win for a variety of other reasons. They deserve a lot of credit for that. But the fact that a team that was such a boogeyman for the Pacers for years, like I think the Bucks won 10 in a row against the Pacers at one point pretty recently. The fact that they've been able to 
just completely overcome that hurdle so fast. And I know the Bucks made a big trade in the summer, but it speaks a lot to how much better the Pacers are this year than past seasons. Well, I want to let the audience in on the fun fact that I think the Pacers should actually thank the Bucks. And before everyone goes, boo, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> I will never forget when Herb Simon spoke to the media last, which was in 2021. He said, I love my little team. Oh, my little team. That same night that he said that, that same day, later, a few hours later, I was in Milwaukee. The Pacers played the Bucks without Giannis, without Chris Middleton, and got smashed. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, this little team is terrible. So <laughs> after that, they made the trade. Tyrese Halliburton comes to Indiana. He becomes a superstar here. So in some ways, they should really thank the Bucks for smashing them that night in 2021 and I forcing like them to trade I and like make that. a move because, my goodness, was I disgusted with that performance. Wait, I thought you were going to go, uh, and sorry, Tony, I thought I thought you were going to go with, you know, they've, you know, the Bucks have kind of, you know, as one of the better teams in the league, have given the Pacers their stamp of approval by hating them as much as they seemingly <laughs> uh, may, may dislike him. Uh, Tony, appreciate the time as always my man again locked on pacers podcast si.com uh forbes many places you can find tony's work and we always always appreciate him carving out a few minutes for us tony uh have a good week enjoy the game tonight my man take care you guys thanks for having me guys